Last one standing wins. <laughs> Professional Podcast. Drinking from Human Skulls. A professional podcast. Greetings once again for another episode of Drinking from Human Skulls. My name is Donnie and it's the special Canadian edition of your COVID update. That's right. This is another COVID cast. I can't believe it. There just seems like nothing else worthy of talking about. And up here in Canada, you can't trust the media. You can't trust the experts. You can't trust the government. And well, who can you trust? Everyone I talk to when I go to a store, when I go to pick up, because there's no in-restaurant dining available right now. They've locked it down. Just an update today, we have something like 650 new cases and one death. So yeah, lock down the entire province of British Columbia for that nonsense. And of course, I'm sorry to say it, but that person who did pass away probably was destined to do so anyways. So of course, the experts have deemed it. If one person meets an untimely end, well, everyone else has to suffer. Everyone else's livelihood must be shut down. Everyone's lives must be stopped in their tracks for this one death. Because one death, any death, is simply too many. All the other dangerous things we do, well, those don't matter. We don't have to consider the stats on that at all. But it's so ridiculous because you have an even greater chance of being struck by lightning than you do dying from the coronavirus. I'm not making this up, folks. Literally, you have a 0.03% chance if you live to the age of 80 to be struck by lightning. You have a 0.02% chance of dying from COVID-19 if you're under the age of 60. So I, I just don't understand why we're shutting this down. I don't understand why we're listening to these experts. It's so ludicrous that you have more of a chance of getting struck by lightning than dying from COVID-19. Are we doing okay? Is this entire country, is this entire world doing okay? You're going to vaccinate yourself with an experimental, untested, unproven vaccine against a 0.02% chance of death? You've lost your marbles if you do that. But anyway, folks, let's get to the topic at hand, these experts and what they're doing. And the first thing we're going to talk about is a corrupt research organization named Ipsos that has put out some disturbing research. I don't know, maybe to prove an agenda. We'll do a little reading, shall we? Here's a headline from Ipsos's website, and by the way, this is being cited by every major news organization in Canada as well. The headline reads, Majority Supporting Canada for Vaccine Passports for International Travel and Large Events. The subheadline reads, Canadians more divided on need for vaccine passports in everyday settings and worry about widespread access to their own vaccination data. So they're not going full totalitarian. And it is comforting to know that people worry about access to their public health data. But let's look at some of the stats. And by the way, remember, the only people who respond to surveys are super old people and super bored people. And I guess super dumb people. I've never, ever responded to a survey. I've never picked up the phone on a number that I don't know. 
So we have to take it with a grain of salt, but understand as well that if every news media organization is covering this as if it's fact, then we have to be concerned because what's it for? So in this study, they found that 61% of Canadians compared to a global average of 54% say that only people who have been vaccinated should be allowed to do things that involve larger groups of people such as transit flying or attending cultural and sports events. So 61% of people in Canada think that if you haven't been vaccinated, you shouldn't be allowed to do anything. And it gets a little weirder because when asked the question, should all travelers entering Canada be required of a vaccine passport? 78% of Canadians said yes. What's the rationale for that? I think that just means that 17% of Canadians are racist or xenophobic or afraid of their own shadow. Well, foreigners' shadows at least. Doesn't quite compute, does it? Well, there's a bunch more stats in this um, Ipsos release, and they've been cherry-picked by the media, as I've said, all over the place to support whatever thing they're trying to push. Most likely vaccine sales in Canada, of course. And now let's get to our good friend, Prime Minister Trudeau. He's always got your back, and he's always thinking for you first. And here's his response when he's asked about COVID-19 vaccine passports. Take a big old drink of this. I just want to follow up on the idea of a vaccine certificate. You just mentioned that the government is considering it, but they're not quite there yet. Based on your own timeline, though, uh, we're only about five months out from having every Canadian adult who wants a vaccine to be able to be fully vaccinated. That timeline you've mentioned is end of September. So if the EU and the U.S. move forward with this idea of having a vaccine certificate, won't those fully, fully vaccinated Canadians be at a disadvantage? And when that border does reopen, are you anticipating having every single traveler who comes to Canada, will there be a requirement to make them fully vaccinated? Uh, we are, of course, uh, looking very, very carefully at this issue, um, even as we are in the uh, third wave right now dealing with uh, extremely urgent and difficult situations, uh, we continue to plan for uh, how we reopen the economy, how we reopen our borders, how we get back to normal, which is something that all Canadians want to do. And obviously, as as was the case pre, uh, pre-pandemic, uh, certificates of vaccination are a part of international travel to certain regions and uh, are naturally to be expected when it comes to uh, this pandemic and and uh, the, the coronavirus. So there you have it, folks. Of course, it's to be expected. Vaccine travel passports, that's a normal thing when traveling to certain regions. Um, do you mean any region on the entire planet, sir? Because that's what it would be if these COVID passports became a thing. And by the way, if you're traveling to the Congo and you need a yellow fever vaccine passport, oh, it's just such a totally different thing. I will not buy this disingenuous argument that vaccine passports have always been a thing. Give me a friggin' break, Prime Minister Trudeau, best and smartest Prime Minister ever in the world. This guy needs a break from his duties if you ask me. He hasn't been handling this well, of course, but he's just simply one of the experts we're going to talk about today that hasn't been handling this well. Let's continue. How we actually roll that out 
in alignment with partners and, uh, and uh, allies around the world uh, is something that we're working on right now to coordinate. I can assure you that our decisions will be based on science uh, and the fact that those decisions are ongoing uh, and those discussions are ongoing right now means that uh, we will be uh, aligned with our partners around the world. Sounds like a yes, it will likely happen. Uh, we are working on it on a scientific basis, and we will have more to announce when we have to announce. Right now, we're focused on getting through this pandemic and being prepared to come back, uh, come roaring back once we're through. Yes, everybody, trust the science. We're working on it on a scientific basis. We're following the science on this. Uh, no, sir, you're not following the science at all. You're following the politics, and you're following the goodwill of pharmaceutical reps who are trying to sell as many vaccines as possible worldwide, and you've bought it hook, line, and sinker. Notice how there's no talk about how if you've already had COVID, then you're good. Notice how these are vaccine passports and not COVID passports. Why should somebody who has had COVID, who has antibodies, why should they need to get the COVID vaccine? That doesn't make any sense. And you'll see this very often on news coverage, pro-vaccine news coverage, where they talk to people who have already had COVID and they are getting the vaccine. Are these people mentally ill? You don't need the vaccine if you've had COVID already and survived it. You have antibodies. How long do those antibodies last for? We don't know yet. Can we figure that out? Absolutely. Should you get a vaccine if you have antibodies? I can't think of a good reason why. I mean, that's kind of like overriding your, your body's own programming. When you have antibodies against a virus, you legitimately have the code needed to delete that virus from your system a lot easier. And you're going to basically overwrite that code with a coronavirus vaccine? It doesn't make any sense. What are you doing to yourself? This is an unproven experimental vaccine. It is killing thousands of people and making tens and hundreds of thousands of people sick. And who knows what other things is causing. And by the way, I'm going to cover this in more detail in a future episode, but they've been trying for years to get this vaccine, this kind of coronavirus vaccine pushed to the market, and they haven't been able to get past animal trials. Do you know why? Because every time they introduced the wild-type virus to the animals that were vaccinated, they all died. And that's the same vaccine that they're giving the people right now. So who knows what can happen? And if you thought Trudeau was pushing it pretty hard in that last clip, saddle up and get ready for a one-dose summer. Take a drink. So here's the situation. More and more Canadians are getting vaccinated. But like we know, cases in far too many places are far too high. We can't ease public health restrictions until cases are way down. First of all, trust the science. We need to get cases way down. Like way, way down, man. Trust the science. Oh, these are accurate figures. We got to get these cases way down, folks. Are we doing okay? He is reading from a script. So just a reminder, the Prime Minister of Canada is a complete buffoon. All the people advising him were fine with this. We got to get cases way down to be having an okay summer. And by the way, 
Cases don't matter. Deaths matter. If a few people get COVID and have a mild case of the sniffles and aren't hospitalized, who gives a care? I mean, it's ridiculous. We've never tested for the flu like this. We've never tested for other infectious diseases like this. If you have flu symptoms that are overwhelming, you would go to the doctor. Then you'd be registered as a case. But with coronavirus, they're testing everyone under the sun. They're testing people before they go to work. They're testing all sorts of civil engineers. All sorts of hospital people are tested every day. And they register these as cases. So be clear, we've never tracked cases like this before. So any talk about getting cases down is utter quackery. Let's continue. Take a drink. We all want to have a summer where we can see our loved ones and invite friends over for barbecues. We can have that summer. We can have a one-dose summer. But for that, two things need to happen. First, restrictions need to remain in place until cases go way down with more screening, testing, and contact tracing. We need to successfully limit community transmission. It's a one-dose summer, baby. Um, notice, it's not a question about whether or not you're going to get the vaccine. It's a question about how many doses you're going to need. So he says it in no uncertain terms there. If you fuck around, Canadians, then you're going to have to get more doses. We're going to get these cases way down. And the way we're going to do that is by testing more. Uh, triple nope dope. I honestly don't know how they're going to ramp things up in the testing department. All viruses virtually disappear during the summertime. As we now know, that vitamin D has a strong link to that. And what comes out in the summertime? Well, the same thing that gives us most of our vitamin D, the sun. Hello? Vitamin D has a strong impact on your immune system. It's been proven. And yet they're not talking about a one daily dose of a thousand milligrams of vitamin D. That would go a long way. Well, couldn't they do that? That's certainly a lot cheaper than these vaccines. By the way, fellow Canadians, they are spending your money on all of this BS. All this vaccine talk, all of these programs, all of it costs money and you're paying for it. Think about that for a moment. You don't think we should have a billion tests administered to all public servants and even the private sector? Well, it doesn't matter. You're paying for it. You don't think everyone should have a vaccine? Three doses per year? Doesn't matter. You're paying for it. You have no say in it as well. You are completely at the whim of the experts who are spending your money with reckless abandon in favor of the science? That doesn't make any sense. Again, they have to get cases way down. Can you give me some actual numbers? Let's keep listening to this dum-dum. Second, as Dr. Tam said, at least 75% of Canadians need to have received their first shots. Oh, Dr. Tam said it. Oh, great. Yeah, Dr. Tam. For those who don't know, that's like our own personal Dr. Fauci up here in Canada. Just as dumb, if not dumber. And we need to keep ramping up those second doses. If we can do this, then we can have a more normal, better summer. There you go, Canadians. Just do as you're told and you'll get your ice cream, okay? Why is he talking to us like we are all three-year-olds? And a one-dose summer sets us up for a two-dose fall, when we'll be able to talk about going back to school, back to work, and back to more normality. 
He's talking about five doses of the vaccine by the end of 2021. Are you putting this together? Two doses, presumably starting in the winter of 2021, another dose for summer, and then two more for fall. What the heck is going on here? This is an experimental vaccine against a virus that doesn't kill anybody except for the people who are going to die anyways. This is so deeply disturbing. If you're not disturbed by this, you are in a trance. You are hypnotized. And you need to wake up. That's what the coming months could look like. That's what I'm excited about. And that's up to all of us. By remaining vigilant, following local public health guidelines to drive case numbers down, and getting vaccinated. Well, Trudeau, I'm not getting vaccinated and I'm talking to a lot of people. Somehow I just see a look in their eyes and we have a conversation and it's not just me. A ton of people are not getting this vaccine. No matter what you say, you absolute charlatan. We will not be forced to take an experimental vaccine that is killing people. Again, my chances of dying are 0.02% if I get COVID. And by the way, that's a stat that is irrespective of every other variable. I believe I can stack the cards in my favor by doing other things that promote a healthy lifestyle, just like with everything else. You don't want to have a heart attack, eat right, exercise, get enough sleep, reduce your stress. It's the same thing with your immune system. It's the same thing when battling any virus. It's the same thing with cancer, etc. across the board. So to be clear, that's not your blanket chance of dying from COVID. That is your chance of dying from COVID if you do, in fact, contract the virus. 0.02% according to Health Canada statistics. So by contrast, let's look at vaccine adverse events. Once again, we're going to reference openveyors.com, which is aggregating all of the data of reported adverse events happening in the United States. And as of April 30th, 2021, there are 157,277 reports, of which 3,837 are deaths. So that means that 2.4% of people who have an adverse reaction to the COVID vaccine end up dying. Now think about that for a second. Isn't an adverse effect the same as getting sick from a virus? Aren't those a pretty good analog? So my point is, if you get sick from the vaccine, you have a bigger chance of death than if you get sick from COVID-19. Why would you take this vaccine knowing those stats? You are a hundred times more likely to die from the vaccine than you are from COVID-19 based on these stats. A hundred times. That is not blanket hyperbole. You have a 0.02% chance of dying from COVID if you contract it. You have a 2.4% chance of dying from the vaccine if you get sick from it. Is this making sense? Whether the experts have it wrong, whether it's the pharmaceutical companies trying to make more sales, whether there's some motive of nefarious intent trying to kill people for no reason, I don't know. There's a lot of mystery surrounding this. There's a lot of mystery surrounding the origin of the coronavirus. We don't know a lot of stuff, but we do know that we can look at the stats and we can say for sure that this vaccine is not needed and is deadly and 
the virus is a lot more endurable than the vaccine. I'm sorry to say. Whatever the case may be here in Canada, the message is clear. Get the vax or you're not doing your part to help society. And that starts at good old Trudeau and goes to the next level down. Speaking about our good guy, Premier Ford, brother of a crack addict, now Premier of Ontario, pretty much doing a great job of embarrassing us on the world stage. Let's take a drink of what he's said recently. So we're, we're focusing on those areas now since we have vaccines. We're going into the high-priority neighbourhoods. We're focusing on the companies. We're going into high-priority neighbourhoods, literally knocking on doors to pull people down in the high-priority neighbourhoods. So we're really having a, a targeted approach. You know, we, we, we have a two-prong approach here. This is the plan. The plan is limit mobility to protect our ICUs. The plan to get needles into people's arms. We're going into, into places of worship. We're going into companies. We're going into neighborhoods. And we're focusing on, on those neighborhoods. Hey, there he is, Doug Ford. He's going door to door. We're bringing the vaccine to you. Don't even need to leave your house. They're going to get those jabs into arms. Focusing on those high-risk neighborhoods. Places of worship. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Are you saying that there are neighborhoods that are higher risk? Does a virus discriminate? Or is this some sort of a way of profiling people? I don't understand. Is there some sort of a thought where there are people who are more likely to spread this based on their cultural background, their religious beliefs? because they're gathering more often or they just don't want to be locked down anymore. This is insanity. You mean to say if you go to church, you wear a mask, you socially distance, and you don't want to get the vaccine, you're a menace to society, Doug Ford? Let's remind you, Doug, your brother was a crack addict and he died because of his habits. I can't think of a worse person to be in charge of public health province-wide than Doug Ford. He couldn't even influence his own family, let alone himself. He looks like a Narnia character come to life, like a speaking mountain or something. Just another wonderful example of the people in charge and, well, his idiocy knows no limits. Because here's another thing he said recently. Take a drink. I'm going to be very frank. There's no politician in this country that's going to disagree with their chief medical officer, uh, they just aren't going to do it. They might as well throw a rope around their neck and jump off a bridge. They're done. I'm telling you the facts. It's very simple. What a wild statement that is. He's saying it's political suicide to challenge an appointed member of an expert team. Appointed presumably by you, Doug Ford, the elected official, the person that the people have put in power. They've said, we trust you now. Granted, their trust is extremely misguided, but at any rate, they have elected you and they have trusted you with the power to challenge these people and fire them should they need to be reprimanded for any reason. And you're saying you just won't challenge them and any politician who challenges them is going to lose their position? It's career suicide to fire or challenge a person that you yourself appointed? Why would we treat these health officials as infallible 
God characters. They have proven time and time again to make the wrong decisions, especially under pressure. They are not experts. They are politicians. It's clear to me that people like Fauci, for example, down south, is a career politician, not a medical doctor, not a practicing doctor, not somebody who has seen patients, not somebody who treats patients, not somebody who even understands how the hospital system works and the treatment tracks work, but he is somebody who is a politician and, by the way, is on television all the time, every day, giving briefings. I don't know how he or any of these other people who are in the same position as him giving daily briefings and interviews with news stations all day long, I don't understand how they have any time to really keep abreast of what's going on in the current state of affairs of the countries that they're supposed to be guiding with health advice. It's utterly amazing that these people can keep their jobs and here we have doug ford premier of the biggest province in canada saying you can't do it he won't do it and anybody who would do it is a goddamn idiot because they're going to lose their job immediately does it make sense i don't think it does hey guys it's me Doni. head to drinkyfromhumanskulls.com to join my mailing list I'll send you my newest episodes and my hottest selfies. See you there. Well, in Canada, we're not big on firsts, but we were first for something recently. First to approve the COVID vaccine for kids aged 12 and up. As you've heard, I've covered the story that Pfizer broke the news on CNN and other channels saying that they had conducted a study that found that the vaccine was 100% effective in children aged 12 to 15. So let's get it on the market. And in Canada, they were the first to oblige. Let's listen to this expert-driven segment produced by CBC. Take a drink. It's the same Pfizer vaccine and the exact same dose already approved for Canadians over 16. This is a COVID-19 vaccine trial. Now kids aged 12 and up can get the same shot. This is the first vaccine authorized in Canada for the prevention of COVID-19 in children and marks a significant milestone in Canada's fight against the pandemic. To get here, Health Canada reviewed data from a trial done months ago. It included nearly 2,300 American children aged 12 to 15. Half received two doses of Pfizer, the other half a placebo. Among the kids who received the placebo, there were 18 COVID infections. In the vaccinated group, there were none. So there it is right there, folks. In the control group, only 18 people got sick. 18 kids got sick. So you mean to tell me? That for such a small percentage chance, you're going to vaccinate your kids with an experimental vaccine, which has been forced into the market based on a fear-driven propaganda mindset, fueled by pharmaceutical money injected into these news media organizations, infiltrating the government. You're going to subject your children to that for a tiny percentage difference in protection, quote-unquote protection? By the way, what are the stats on those kids who got sick, those 18 kids? How did they do? Did they even show symptoms? What are the full details here? They don't tell you that. They're just trying to bullshit you 
to get your kids vaccinated. Well, it gets even better. Let's take a drink. As for the side effects, the most commonly reported side effects were temporary and mild, like a sore arm, chills or fever. The Northwest Territories will start offering Pfizer to anyone over 12 in Yellowknife tomorrow. Alberta opens eligibility starting Monday. Manitoba is aiming for later this month. And Ontario is talking about whether students can get their first shots inside their schools this summer. Should we be rushing out to do kids? Canadians under 19 make up roughly 20% of COVID cases, but their risk of becoming very ill or dying from the virus is low. It's not just about mortality rate. It's about their health and well-being. Oh my gosh, it's about their health and well-being. Well, they have a higher chance of dying from the COVID vaccine than they do from the COVID virus. It's about their health and well-being. Give them a vaccine that might prevent the sniffles, but also might kill them. It doesn't compute, does it? Let me just be clear. I'm not an anti-vaxxer, and when I'm looking at the data of this very public experiment that's going on, and that's costing thousands of lives, and who knows what other side effects, I have to wonder, is it worth giving it to your kids? Certainly not in my mind. If kids are dropping like flies to this virus, then perhaps it's a different case. But in fact, there's no statistical data that any kids have died from this. And there's a few anecdotal cases that kids have died, but those kids were all severely compromised with their immune system and other illnesses as well. So I don't think that justifies vaccinating entire swaths of children and risking their lives. Unfortunately, if this pandemic has taught us anything, it's that we can't trust the experts. And the report continues, so let's keep listening, shall we? Studies have shown kids over 10 can spread the virus as well as adults. I think that vaccination of teenagers will just lead to less circulating COVID-19 and will be a helpful step on the path back to normalcy. Honestly, best Mother's Day present ever. Janet Murphy knows kids are at the bottom of the vaccine priority list. Still, her three teens can hardly wait. It's been a long haul for them. Uh, They really, really want to get back to their friends. Health Canada says Pfizer may submit trial data for kids age 5 to 11 as early as September. But vaccines won't likely be offered to kids that age until next year. Christine Burak, CBC News, Toronto. Best Mother's Day present ever. These people are under the illusion that the vaccine will save their lives, will change everything back to normal. Well, maybe. We'll get into this in the next episode, but the CDC has now in America said there's no more need for a mask if you've been vaccinated. So who knows how long that'll take place. We'll see if it's a bait and switch. Um, Up here in Canada, Vancouver area, people are still double masking on the street like lemmings. I never wear a mask outside. It seems I'm in the extreme minority. And it's gotten to the point where when I see someone who's not wearing a mask outside, we have little winks at each other like, hey, brother, you're not a complete tool. Anyway, the segment's not quite finished. They're going to talk about vaccine hesitant parents who might have some questions Take a look at this other side of the story. Oh, yes. Take a drink. So to help us understand what this means for your kids, I'm joined now by pediatric infectious diseases specialist, Dr. Fatima Kakar from Montreal. Dr. Kakar, so Canada is among the first in the world to approve the vaccine for kids this age. 
I can understand some parents being hesitant about that. What would you say to them about getting their kids immunized? So first, not to worry, there was no rush in the process. So both Health Canada and the FDA got the data from Pfizer within days of each other, and the FDA is going to announce imminently the approval. And the scientific process was not rushed. It's really just that Health Canada met more quickly, was more efficient, and really made this a priority because we want to get this vaccine into kids for the next school year. So there was no rush in the process. It's really just we made this a priority. Oh, yeah, that's right. Up here in Canada, we made it a priority. Not like those sloppy yanks down there. They don't care about their kids at all. Oh, yeah, we got the science from Pfizer, their American study. Um, no need to conduct our own studies and do our own due diligence here in Canada. We care about kids just that much. This woman is an idiot beyond measure. She sounds like a 12-year-old herself, first of all. Maybe she's looking to get herself in the queue. That's why she approved this thing. She's part of the 12-year-olds who are getting the first batch. But, oh, yes, they want to get this thing ready for the next school year. Oh, golly gosh. Kind of a conflict with what the report said, that this wouldn't probably be available for most kids until next year. But, anyhow, she's the quote-unquote expert that we're supposed to trust. So we heard enormous relief from that mom in, in Christine's piece. What have you been hearing from kids about what they're struggling with during the pandemic? So we, we kids haven't been sick with COVID, but they are enormously stressed with what COVID might do to their families and how it's affected them on a day-to-day basis with regards to being in school, being off school, every time they're exposed to COVID, having to quarantine. So kids have had an enormous amount of stress and what this will really mean is a relief of that stress and is hope that next year, even maybe later this summer, life will go back to normal. That would be great. Dr. Kakar, thank you so much. Thank you. Dr. Kakar, um, yeah. Did you hear that? She just said kids have not been affected by this illness. So why are they being vaccinated? Can anyone explain that to me? What did she just say? How is it that people are going to listen to that statement and believe it? Kids have been affected by this, and the vaccine's going to help. They haven't got sick, but they haven't been able to go to school. They missed their friends. And so, therefore, the vaccine. They should get the vaccine. What? Can they point to a study that says that kids are um, asymptomatic transmitters of this virus? Can they point to any research on that? Because that would be the only justification here. I don't know. That's the only explanation. They've said it. This vaccine may not even stop transmission, whether it is or whether it isn't the case. They have not talked about how symptoms lead to the spread of the virus. I don't think it's quite understood. But the reason why I'm saying this is because, simply put, the experts do not know even the basics of what they're talking about on any level whatsoever. So how are we supposed to trust them? This is a sloppily produced segment by CBC News, a state-sponsored news organization in Canada. And perhaps it's always been like this. And maybe I haven't been paying attention until recently. Or maybe they're getting worse at this. Maybe the next generation of up-and-comers who have been raised on social media, who have been raised without a basis in true reality, they're all about what are your pronouns, you know, what are your preferences, etc. Uh, when I was a kid, and you know, I'm not that old, I'm not even 40 years old, but when I was a kid, you know, you say the wrong thing, you're going to get beat up. Now you're going to wear a pink shirt, anti-bullying, etc., etc. 
I think they're soft and I think they're buying into propaganda and I think they're spreading it. And I think it's getting worse and worse. I think people are just getting dumber. I think the younger generation is entering the workforce and they are just the kind of people who submit to power. And it's leaving folks like me and perhaps you wondering what's going on in the world. Why are these messages getting through as easily as they are? Why are these propaganda pieces being produced? Sort of looking at the world from one perspective, whereas there's many perspectives that need to be covered and detailed instead of just swept under the rug. Now, to be fair, it could be that the nature of competition in today's workplace, today's work marketplace, is that you have to submit to the higher-ups. You have to, or you won't get anywhere in your career. And even the experts, I'm sure, face tremendous pressure. If they see a status quo emerging, well, if they want to move forward in their expertise, perhaps they need to lean into that status quo rather than rebel against it. I think we can see a lot of doctors and scientists and experts who are standing against the status quo, but they're facing extreme resistance. They're getting banned from social media. They're getting deplatformed. They're getting canceled. They're getting shunned by their previous media partnerships and relationships. So what incentives do people have to come out against the power? Probably not many. Well, there's one man, one doctor, who sits on the board, the COVID board here in Canada, named Andrew Morris. And to quote him, he said, he just can't find any excuse to continue giving the AstraZeneca vaccine to those under the age of 40. Now, I'd add a little extra bit. I don't know what your excuse is to give it to anyone, but if you want to see what he said, he wrote a series of tweets on Twitter, and I've linked to those in uh, the, the show notes of this episode on drinkingfromhumanskulls.com. Go check it out. But he's got some interesting stats that we'll go through right now. And by the way, this guy makes a clear declaration in his Twitter bio saying that he has no pharma conflicts. And yet in his timeline, you can see that he's retweeted um, posts basically saying that you can get the Pfizer vaccine at this location and that location. So he's pro-COVID vaccine, but he's anti AstraZeneca vaccine, uh, it doesn't quite add up, but let's look at his stats anyways. So he's put together a table, proportion of COVID-19 events of interest by age group based on Canadian surveillance data, and they've got age group, distribution of cases, proportion of cases who are hospitalized, proportion of cases who are hospitalized and need ICU care, and then proportion of cases who die. And the only group that seems to have any danger of dying is those above the age of 60, albeit an extremely small chance of death, 2.15% chance of dying if you do contract COVID-19. Now, by the way, you only have an 8% chance of contracting, and I guess that's basically lifestyle ch choices that elderly people are making. And I think it all points to, if you look at this table, even without intervention, even without a vaccine, this virus is highly manageable and yet they're still pumping and they're still pushing for people to get this vaccine at all costs, even though that this vaccine causes death. And I frankly don't know why it's still on the market. We've got doctors who are sounding the alarm saying that usually if a medication causes one or two deaths, they yank it immediately. And we've seen that in America 
Almost 4,000 people have died as a direct result. Doctor submitted reports stating that the vaccine caused death. And what about those drive-through vaccination situations they've got? Are they tracking those? I don't think so. I mean, this is madness. If you take this vaccine, you really haven't done any research whatsoever. And I even feel sheepish calling it a vaccine because it's not a vaccine. It's a technology. It's an mRNA synthetic uh, set of instructions that turns your body into a protein spike creation machine. Who knows what the long-term effects of that are. But anyways, it's killed 4,000 people that have been reported. Now, you could say that's out of millions, but... I mean, these are healthy otherwise people who probably, based on these numbers, would not have died from COVID, but they did die from the vaccine. And as we've discussed earlier, and we're beating a dead horse, but I really want people to understand this upon looking back, even right now, that you have a higher chance of dying if you get the vaccine than you do of COVID itself. The stats say it clearly. But anyway, I should be clear that I'm making kind of a different point than Andrew Morris is. Uh, He's making this case that it's never safe to use the AZ vaccine unless you're in extreme hot spots or hot zones. Honestly, go ahead and read his tweets. I don't even understand quite what he's talking about because he seems to think that the mRNA vaccines are totally safe and the AZ vaccine isn't safe. I don't know. This guy has shill written all over him, so I can't quite make sense of it. It's not clear. It should be easy to understand what he's saying, but it isn't. And so I think he's just using smoke and mirrors. Again, look at his profile. He says he's not a shill in his bio. It kind of makes me think you're protesting a little too much there, bud. Hey, guys, it's me, Doni, the host of Drinking from Human Skulls. The world is coming to an end, you don't have a job, and you're bleeding your parents dry. Pretty soon, everyone you know and love is going to die in nuclear war. That's why this is the perfect time to donate to Drinking From Human Skulls, a professional podcast. Just visit drinkingfromhumanskulls.com and click the donate button to get started. And if you can't afford to donate, click on anything that looks like an ad. Doing so will help me and your corporate overlords. Why let your money disintegrate in a mushroom cloud when you could support the Drinking From Human Skulls podcast? Now, let's get back to the show. Well, it's May 15th today, and a few days ago, on Thursday, uh, Canada received 655,000 doses of the AZ vaccine, and they're just sitting in a freezer. So, you know, it kind of shows you that the people in charge of this don't exactly know what they're doing, don't exactly know what they're talking about. And there's this whole article in CBC, again, that shows various different opinions from politicians and experts, quote unquote, saying that we should use them, that we should send them back. By the way, these were obtained, these vaccines were obtained through the COVAX program. So Canada, basically a rich country, trying to get what they can for free. Now, that's a whole different other problem. I think you're probably saving poorer countries by not giving them this vaccine. It is proving to be one of the stranger stories, however. Is it that the pharmaceutical companies are having a PR war behind the scenes and Pfizer's winning it? 
Is it really that Pfizer and Moderna have the safest vaccine? It wouldn't seem to be so. If you look at the OpenVAERS data from the VAERS database, it would seem that pretty much across the board, there's danger from all the vaccines, with Pfizer, of course, being the number one most dangerous, but that could also be because it's the number one most used as well. By the way, not a peep has been said about the fact that these vaccines, quote-unquote, were rushed out to hit the market based on fear, hype, hysteria, PR, propaganda, and etc. There is no mention that they shouldn't have approved these in the first place. There is no mention that people have died needlessly because of these vaccines. There's only mention of what should be done with this overflow in this particular story. And very few doctors in Canada who are sounding the alarm on the facts and the reality that the vaccines are more dangerous than COVID itself. At least in this country, I don't know about the others, but I can say for sure, probably in America and in Canada, safer to not get the vaccine. And that's not medical advice, by the way. I'm just looking at the stats. And the stats, coming from the official sources, they say it themselves. You have a bigger chance of dying from the vaccine than you do of COVID-19. And again, the picture I'm trying to paint here is that none of the experts know what they're doing. None of them are allowed to speak up. And it would seem that there are different motivations that motivate different experts to do things differently. And politicians are also susceptible to the same forces. And we've got another story right here that's going to prove my point. And in Canada, we have a body called the National Advisory Committee on Immunization, NACI, whose function is to make recommendations for the use of vaccines currently or newly approved for use in humans in Canada. And there's a little back and forth in the governmental office, the House of Commons here in Canada. Uh, take a drink of this. Virtual House of Commons, of course. We're still socially distanced over here. But listen to this exchange and tell me if you can make sense of it. Take a drink. NACI is recommending mRNA vaccines over the AstraZeneca and Johnson & Johnson vaccine in a press conference given moments ago, saying that given reports of blood clotting, individuals should be able to, quote, make an informed choice on if they should wait to take an mRNA vaccine. And a representative from NACI actually said they don't know how common the incidence of blood clotting is with those two vaccines, suggesting that they might be as high as one in 100,000. So what does Health Canada advise? This is a lot different from what we've been hear hearing. Taking the first vaccine offered or wait, if you can, for an mRNA vaccine? The Honourable Minister. Well, thank you, Mr. Speaker. And first of all, I'd like to thank NACI for their ongoing work in helping provinces and territories determine how to deliver the vaccines that are approved for use in Canada. As a member opposite might realize from listening to witness testimonies at Health Canada or at the HESA committee, Health Canada is responsible for approving vaccines for use in Canada and have given specific uh, use um, requirements. NACI then takes uh, the evidence and provides advice on how best to administer it. If any Canadian is questioning whether a vaccine is right for them, the best place to get information is from their healthcare professional. So they danced around the answer there and said, hey, if you're not sure which vaccine you should take, go ahead and ask your doctor. Don't rely on us, the government body that's supposed to give you this advice. Just ask your doctor, who, by the way, gets their information from us. Oh, God. 
The Honorable Member for Calgary, Nose Hill. Um, I think that's going to leave a lot of Canadians even more confused than the press conference that just happened. So I'm going to ask again, because the minister is responsible for Health Canada. So, NASI is saying individuals should be able to make an informed choice on if they should take AstraZeneca or Johnson Johnson or wait for an mRNA vaccine. But she's been saying, take the first vaccine that's offered. So what is the advice from Health Canada? Take the first vaccine that's offered, no matter what it is, or if you can, if you can work from home or whatever, wait for an mRNA vaccine. What is it? The Honourable Minister. Mr. Speaker, it's somewhat disconcerting to see the member opposite try to instill fear in our healthcare institutions that, of course, guide patients towards the best medication for them. These vaccines are being delivered by healthcare professionals who know how to screen and ask the correct questions and to determine which vaccine is indeed the best for that particular patient. And for her to imply that patients would not get that expertise advice from their medical professionals is really a lack of confidence in all of our provincial and territorial partners who are doing so much work to ensure that Canadians get the right vaccine for them. These are the kind of people who are in power up here in Canada, who are making health decisions for the entire country, who are being listened to by those who are trusting in the organizations. And by the way, people should trust and have faith in the organizations. And this governmental official is simply asking the question, I'm getting conflicting advice from different bodies. You, as the person, the health minister who's supposed to curate that data and give us one consolidated message, She's asking a simple question. Can you consolidate the information from your organizations and give us a guidance? She's not trying to hold you accountable for anything other than what you should be doing in your job. Well, of course, the answers from the health minister were not satisfactory. So Prime Minister Trudeau has come under fire. Let's listen to this report from CTV News and see what they come up with. Take a drink. The Prime Minister is reacting to criticism over mixed messaging. He says that different regions are dealing with unique challenges, but that the federal messaging on the pandemic has remained steady. CTV's Michelle Boyer joins me now with more on that. So, Michelle, what did the Prime Minister have to say earlier this morning about this whole communications issue, especially when it pertains to AstraZeneca? Yeah, a lot to talk about when it comes to AstraZeneca. And Marcia, let's boil it down. Uh, for Canadians, there are a lot of cooks in this kitchen. And the Prime Minister says that the federal government has been consistent with its messaging. The first vaccine that you were offered is the best one. But that was really thrown uh, for a loop, I guess you could say, when NASI came out and said, actually, there's a preferred vaccine, depending on where you live. It could be Pfizer or Moderna because of the uh, very, very, very low risk of a blood clot with AstraZeneca. By the way, Johnson & Johnson also approved by Health Canada uh, in this country, but there was a production issue with the 300,000 that we did receive. So those are still on hold. Now, the Prime Minister did talk about mixing vaccines down the road as we hear about more and more provinces who say they're not going to be administering first shots for AstraZeneca. Here's what he told CP24 Stephanie Smythe this morning. For AstraZeneca, uh, we're still looking at either you get a follow-up of AstraZeneca or maybe the scientists are going to recommend uh, a mix and match. We're not there yet, uh, but there are lots of possibilities moving forward. The important thing is 
that everyone gets vaccinated as quickly as possible. We get to have a much better summer if over 75% of people get vaccinated. So the prime minister and his wife both received AstraZeneca. Mm -hmm. Does he have any regrets? He says no. And, you know, we've seen dozens of other politicians also get AstraZeneca. It was they were it was offered first. We got a shipment. And so there was also the age group that they were eligible for. And so they got it. It was a very, very strong sign as we were hearing that, you know, of possible blood clots uh, in other countries. Uh, but no, he says he has no regrets. And he says that really the message continues to be the same, that the best one is the first one that you're offered. But here's the thing, Marcia, is that even though there's more AstraZeneca coming in planned for the next couple of weeks, nothing confirmed at this point, but um, you know, he's what we're seeing in this country is a more steady flow of Pfizer, a more steady flow of Moderna. Uh, so we're starting to see the shift towards those two vaccines. Does it sound to you like uh, Trudeau has an agenda rather than solutions? He's just trumpeting the same point again and again and again and introducing this new idea of a potential mix and match. Got the first dose of the AZ vaccine. Well, maybe you can get the second dose of the Pfizer. He's already talking about how this could be a one-dose summer and a two-dose fall. Why limit yourself? Mix and match. You could try them all. And there's another confusing report that'll play a couple clips from just doctors talking about stuff that is absolutely not connected to reality in any way, shape, or form. This is a little news report where they're talking about this flip-flop of this guidance from NACI. And they've got this one doctor who says something that, to me, was quite conspicuous. Let's take a drink of this. Yeah, but that's not what they said, Dr. Sharkawi. They said, you know, take the first vaccine unless you're in a low area. Who determines that? And, and these aren't the preferred vaccines. Do you think this is going to contribute to hesitancy? Maybe people who got the AstraZeneca now don't want, they got the first shot. They don't want the second shot. Or a million and a half Canadians now scared to do that. What do you, what do you make of all that? And, and what, what should the fix be, Dr. Sharkawi? Well, as I said, I, I think it was problematic in terms of how it was framed. Uh, there's lots of issues that have already played out in terms of a lack of trust with respect to this sort of messaging and this vaccine in particular. And I think we have to recognize that there are consequences when you make a statement that suggests that one set of vaccines are preferred. And conversely, by default, that means another set of vaccines are not preferred. They're potentially harmful if you want to take that narrative and run with it. And I think there's two really important nuances that probably didn't come up when we talk about who's at risk here. Don't forget that you can go from a situation where you don't have a lot of circulating activity within your community to one in which there's a lot of activity and that can happen in a very short period of time. Are you gonna take that risk while waiting? The other problem relates to mm. equity. You know, the, the, the supposition here was that if you are able to live at home, work from home, subsist fairly comfortably from home, this is an alternative that may be best for you. Well, guess what? There's a lot of people who don't have that choice, especially essential workers who we know and we've documented repeatedly have been disproportionately impacted by this third wave. Those are the people filling up our ICUs and dying. Is it fair to say that they should be receiving a product that maybe isn't the preferred product, while others who perhaps are more privileged and have other resources have the luxury of making another choice? 
That's a really problematic issue to play out. And I don't think that that's something that we want to have mm. Canadians believe is what our recommendations are. Well, talk about problematic. I think what this guy is just saying is the most problematic thing of all. What he's saying is it doesn't matter what the NACI has said in trying to be transparent that maybe you shouldn't be taking this AZ vaccine for a variety of reasons. It matters that you've now confused people into thinking they shouldn't take the AZ vaccine. And now you've damaged their potential to protect themselves. Well, isn't that nonsense? Because as we've seen and as we've documented in this podcast, unless you're over the age of 80, you have a higher likelihood of dying from the vaccine than you do if you get sick of COVID. So that's a lie right there. And then he goes on to say that they've documented that essential workers are the ones that are being affected disproportionately right now, which is utterly untrue. They're filling up the ICUs and they're dying? No, sir. I've got the stats right in front of me. Are we to assume that these essential workers are of the age of 80 plus? Because from that group, we have 16,329 deaths. And then the next most affected group is people between the ages of 70 and 79, 4,832. And then people between the ages of 60 and 69, 2,092 people have died. And then people between the ages of 50 to 59, 749. Are we to assume that all the essential workers are above the age of 50? It falls off the face of the earth. People aged 40 to 49, only 234 deaths. People aged 30 to 39, 107 deaths. People aged 20 to 29, 48 deaths. And people aged 0 to 19, 11 deaths. So if you are under the age of 50, you have virtually no fear of this virus whatsoever. And I will not believe that essential workers are now in this third wave being disproportionately affected. The stats don't show that. And by the way, if you look at the numbers, it really makes you wonder why we're locking down, why we're masking up, and why we're in this vaccine hysteria in the first place. We're talking about 25,000 deaths across the country since January of 2020. This is madness. This is absolute insanity. This is nothing. Many more people die of many different things compared to COVID-19, and we don't stop life because of those things. Just a quick look at the stats show you an average of 80,000 people die per year of cancer in Canada, 50,000 people per year die of heart disease in Canada. And if we compare that to the period of January 2020 to May 2021, we'll have 120,000 cancer deaths, we'll have around 80,000 heart disease deaths compared to 25,000 deaths from covid and of course, it goes without saying that we're not seeing any response or any ramped up hysteria around cancer or heart disease, especially as compared to COVID-19. And I don't think that there is any rational explanation for that whatsoever. The bottom line is our experts, our leaders have lost the plot and we should stop listening to them until they start making sense. I understand they're under a lot of pressure, I guess, but that's their job. A big part of their job is to handle things well under pressure. It's a sad state of affairs in this country, Canada, and in the world. But we'll have to just keep waiting and keep watching and see what happens. That's about it for today, folks. I uh, hope you've learned something. It's quite dire. 
up here in Canada. The American Yanks down there have said they can take the masks off. Costco, Walmart, etc. They're saying take the masks off if you've been vaccinated. But so far quiet over here in Canada. Still people are double masking outside, at least in my area. I'm eager to put this mass hysteria behind me so we can actually begin to cover other things other than COVID. I mean, this has been a crazy time, but there's a lot of crazy stuff going on in the world. So much of it. And I'd like to cover some of that as well. So we'll leave it there. My name is Doni. I'm your host. This is Drinking from Human Skulls. I do hope you come back once again. Please visit my website, www.drinkingfromhumanskulls.com. Join my mailing list. Uh, donate if you can. Share this around on social media. Tell a friend. Do all that stuff. Please do help me out I'm trying to get this thing to a wider audience. And so I can quit my jobs. I mean, basically, I'd love to be a full-time broadcaster. I'm going to make it happen, but you certainly could help as well. So thank you once again. We'll leave you with a song. Goodbye and good luck. (laughs) 